So I farm so hard, the employees wanna find me. And then wanna hire me. What's 100k to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never wanna see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Farm so hard, let's get paid. Welcome to another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. This is the host, Jim Pruitt, aka Farm D in the ED. And we have a special episode for you guys today. And it's something that we've all wondered. We probably should have, you know, paid attention in residency if we went to residency, or we should have paid attention in pharmacy school when we had our pharmacy administration course. This is going to be on getting administrative training as a clinical specialist. And who else would I get to come onto the show other than the expert himself, Dr. Oscar Santalo? So again, thank you for coming on and being on the other end of the the show. So you got any opening um, opening remarks for us? Uh, it, it's nice to be on this in an interview. You know, I'm no longer the hostess with the Moses now. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. So this uh, came up. I know me and Jimmy have been requested a couple of times where how pharmacists can level up, which I think will probably be a better title for this episode, right? Now, every hospital can't afford to hire an HSPA resident, right? Or people with residency training because it could be, you know, while residents are in their residency, right? You have, there's more seasons in summer, right? Not everyone can wait for a resident to complete their residency to bring them on. Um, so a lot of opportunity and it's always rewarding whenever you hire a candidate internally. So I think, you know, hopefully this episode can shed some light on that. Absolutely. It's, it's part of the job that most specialists don't believe that they will actually have to deal with, but it's, it's what's absolutely needed and to be very effective in your role. And I'm super fortunate at working in the ED. I have to really rely on some administrative skills to get me through committees and things of that nature. So we'll dive into that. Let's go ahead and just transition um, to some of the background about getting administrative training as a clinical specialist. Yeah. So to start off with some background for continued growth and development, hospital pharmacists would benefit from leadership training. So let me tell you this. So think about the amount of leadership and administrative training that you get during pharmacy school. Very little. So then when you end up graduating from pharmacy school, who are you all of a sudden in charge of? All these technicians and all the oversight that has to happen. So it's like one second, no true management experience. And all of a sudden you're expected to manage how many FTEs, hiring, um, disciplining the works, right? Um, farm schools do provide some minister training or some professional development courses, of course. Hospital pharmacists may one day want to become clinical or operation managers. I've seen them come in different directions. Uh, with the increase in residency programs, a leadership path may be more difficult for those who do not complete a residency. And like I said, not every not every director or manager may be looking for a residency trained person. So there's still an area of opportunity for those that did not complete a residency or as a clinical specialist that there's still a chance to pursue a path in administration. But this is the caveat that I will say, though, and Jimmy kind of highlighted this a little bit earlier. Just being good at one job may not translate to the other. So, for example, just because you're really good specialists, really good at rounds and interventions may not be able to set you up for success to be a manager because they're two different types of day-to-day responsibilities. 
when you're on uh, when you're out there on the floors as a pharmacist, it's more of a task oriented, right? Um, kind of role versus when you're a manager, it's mainly project oriented and you spend like, here's a rule of thumb. You spent 80% of your time on 20% of your people. Yep. My team makes fun of me. Like why I come in so early before everyone else is because before my meetings actually come in, I actually need time to get my work done. Right. And then in between meetings, I'm always le- doing my own leadership rounding. I'm checking in with staff, um, communicating with other team me- members. So it's very hard. And there's also very little training and project management. And I say that because if you think about back when you were doing your rotations or even during residency, like during your rotations, you're the best at like starting projects. No one can start a project. No one can do a drug information question. No one can do a recommendation. No better than a pharmacy student or a resident. But can you actually implement change? Can you create change? Can you actually follow up and critique that change, right? Can you communicate? Um, those kind of things. So it's totally different skill set that's required. So I kind of feel bad for those clinical specialists that just because they're really great clinical specialists that they hire them as a clinical manager with no additional administrative training because it is an entirely different skill set. Absolutely, man. And I, I, I like to say that it's speaking a different language, to be honest. Like when people come down with me to the ED and they actually have to start doing things with their hands. They just like, oh, my God, I have to make a drip. I have to do these different things. And it's a different world. It's a different language. When I have to wake up early, that's the first problem. I have to go to all these meetings, um, especially on your days off. And then you're you're speaking about things in FTEs. You have to use a certain lingo. That's a completely different world for most of us. They don't care how quickly you can make a leave a fat drip. They don't care. You know, I'm talking C-suite for the majority of people, they don't care about how many lives you save, you know, to be honest, like it's cool. You should do that. That's part of your job. They believe that. But how can you implement change, assess change and move from there? And I can tell you that if you didn't have a, a ton of administrative rotations or had to be involved in a ton of change within your department, it's going to be crazy. And then the end goal, every every specialist listen to this right now, the end goal for all of us uh, we want to end up either in management, academia, or end up in some other location. So for most- the feedback I've been getting is that when I interview clinical specialists, the feedback is that they want to be an RPD. And in my opinion, an RPD is much more difficult than being a clinical manager because you're having to hire and recruit and track and trend the progression of your employees much more frequently than you would a full-time employee because residents are one-year rental, two-year rental, if you're lucky. So therefore it's, in my opinion, being RPD is much tougher. And now that you have all these applicants and there's a diverse range of personalities and stuff. So you do have to have this high level of emotional intelligence and emotional awareness, self-awareness, all the above, just to make sure that like you're working with all these different people. And again, the reason why this topic was because quite a few people approached me like, listen, like I want to be a coordinator. I want to be this. I want to be that. What can I do? And I didn't do a residency. All right. So here's some things. Here's some additional training that you can do while you're already on your job. Uh, you can do a lot of shadowing experience. Like it sounds funny and corny. Like if you want to attend a meeting with your manager, like, hey, I want to learn a little bit. I want to progress. So that's probably the first step, to be honest, is to communicate. Communicate your interest, right? Because then your manager can, can think of, future projects that they can never get to that they could possibly assign to you 
or try to expose you in different things. And um, a sign of a good leader or manager is succession planning. And what that means is that picking the next person to replace you is an assumption that that leader is going to move up. And most leaders kind of evaluate and grade themselves by the leaders that they leave behind. So any opportunity that someone wants to shadow or learn from me, of course, I'm going to take them under their wing. My bosses do the same thing. My other future RPDs mentors did the same thing. So, of course, you can ask for any shadowing opportunities. Um, a master's degree. So I get different questions on MBA versus MHA, tomato model, in my opinion. The exam here, here difference, right? When you're doing your MBA, when you're going over finance stuff, the examples are going to be Ford, Amazon, Google. When you do your MHA, it's going to do examples of, you know, Cleveland Clinic, Avent Health, Duke Health, like those kind of things. So in my opinion, they translate a little bit. Um, obviously, if you had to pick one, I would say MHA because pharmacists, we work in healthcare. Um, the reason for the master's degree is because it's almost like an inclusion criteria. Very similar for a BCPS for a clinical, clinical specialist. Yeah. So it's not, I'm not saying that you need it because how often, don't, don't get me wrong, clinical managers are involved in the budget, but not really speaking high on FTEs and things like that. And they could, some are very, very good, right? But um, that's not really the expectation for them for the most part. So a master's degree will set you up from a part. I just feel bad that almost everyone's getting a master's degree now. Yeah. So, and you could do it two, two, three years, chip away at it. Um, and for the most part, most hospitals or health systems, they actually do reimburse you for it. So I would definitely take advantage of that opportunity. The only reason why I wasn't trying to be extra, I have an MBA and an MHA. The MBA I got during pharmacy school because I want to pursue administration. I got the MHA because it was free while I was in residency <laughs> or they pay for it. I wasn't trying to be extra. I promise. Okay. Um, you, you, you didn't want to have like the alphabet soup behind your name, like BCPS, MBA, MPH, PhD, PharmD, like every type of M and D that you can possibly have. I I need to chill out. And my director's like, no, I need to get a fellowship for ACHE. And that's a whole discussion for another day. And I'm like, all right, so outside of degrees, what else can you do, right? You can do, get like leadership type or management type of certificates. So like lean thinking, lean six sigma, all those kind of things, right? In terms of like efficiency and the certificates carry weight. It, it's kind of good to speak on during interviews when they ask about process improvements, things like that. And those are some mm -hmm. things that you can drop during those kind of interviews. Also is overall materials. So you can use podcasts, articles, AJHP, to be honest with you, has very good leadership administrative type articles. So, do, so does a hospital pharmacy as well. Like that's what I use for my administrative topic discussions. Like always being um, well-read, especially administration, you really have to know what's going on in your profession. I know that we, we slacked last summer and I kind of didn't do it on purpose because of COVID, but there's an article that comes out every summer that talks about drug trends and drug expenditure. Because um, the higher up you go, the more you pay attention to finances. So it's always good to impact pharmacy a little bit, just in case you get the opportunity to interact with other executives and so forth. And then also attending conferences, networking, right? Because if you're trying to move up, you need to network, right? As, as Drake would say, show your network, right? <laughs> your network. Um, so those are some things that I would start with in terms of additional training. Yeah. And I, and I would just want to comment on a few things. Like when I think about this, when I knew that I wanted to do a little bit more within the ED and again, I always say the ED is very different and you kind of in a silo when it comes to 
how involved you are because you're the one representation of pharmacy when you're down there because you're actually you're at the bedside making it go from brain to vein. So I believe that understanding what happens at the very top and being able to apply it to the patient matters. Like being able to talk to my administration, why don't we have rabies here? Or why don't we have these certain things available in the AccuDose, OmniCell, Pixies, wherever you have, being able to be at those meetings and understand that the, the system level material helps out quite well. And I, I've shouted out people before. I've reached out to people who are phenomenal at, at leadership within the pharmacy administration. I've definitely done that. Um, or course podcast. And I, I believe most people are, are going to conferences and getting leadership skills and, and getting qualities of a great leader without them even knowing. So I think you get, as long as you're going to these things, you're networking, you're understanding what's going on at other institutions and you're able to apply it to your setting. You're For me, I feel like those are some of the foundations to developing yourself as a good leader. That leads to my second thing though opportunities and people management. So that's one of the things. So I, like when I think of a clinical specialist, I think of someone that is task oriented, knows what they're doing, maybe a little socially awkward, right? And that's because some of these dudes are just so freaking smart, right? Um, if they have people skills, that's great. People skills are very easy to develop, just a lot of practice. And there's actually HBR also has a lot of good podcasts on these kind of like social cues that um super helpful. So trust me, you're not the only one if you feel like you're trying to be a leader and you don't really have the people skills, like, trust me, you're not the only one. I don't think my people skills are all that great either. I'm just a little more laid back and people just like to talk to me. It's fine. Um, the opportunities and people management. So the reason why I say that is because when you want to move up, right. And the reason why I know this, because I interviewed for leadership positions, they'll add the first, one of the first questions I ask you is how many people do you actively manage? Do you manage interns, students, Right. How many FTEs, how many people roll up under you? So, like, for example, my previous job, I had 40 interns that rolled under me. Granted, it was 40 interns. It was a lot, but it was interns. Right. Um, they work at the weekends and they're already high performers. I'll tell you right now, the 13 technicians that I have that also roll under me were 20 times harder than the 40 interns I had. So just any opportunities in people management. So students, interns, residents, mentoring. Um, the works, anything you can kind of speak on how you troubleshoot um, and, and how you manage personnel. And all that all leads to taking the schedule. I was the resident scheduler. I kind of did it on purpose, even though I got trapped into it because no one else wanted to do it. But um, off the bat, if you want to solve conflicts quickly, do the schedule for somebody. They want off this week and off this weekend. Everyone wants a three-day weekend. You got to be fair right off the bat. You got to learn how to communicate. Uh, people will try to take advantage of you with the schedule. <laughs> so that's one of the easiest things. And the best part, you have managers and coordinators that do the schedule. I promise you, they don't want to do the schedule. I just got the schedule taken off my plate. I've never been happier. Okay. Don't get me wrong. As a manager, I'm a little more hands-on in terms of like training and things like that. And I still look and I have to like sign off on it. But schedule takes a lot of work. And, um, and that'll kind of lead into my other comment about this have you ever heard of 360 degree leadership i've heard of it and i've heard people that are admin people talk about it but i have no clue exactly what is like meant by that that's one of those things i say hmm sounds cool yeah yeah 360 yeah yeah all right all right so let's say that jimmy you're in the ed and then you have your boss 
who's a clinical manager, I'm assuming. And then you have your counterpart, your ED counterpart, and then you may have like a tech student, not tech student, but technician or, or a resident under you. 360 degree leadership is leadership in all different directions. So the easiest one you think of is that you leading by example. So the way you're leading that resident, as well as you leading the person next to you, you're showing up on time, you're doing your consults, you're passing off, and you're kind of setting the foundation for how you work. Yeah. So off the bat, just by you doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're already leading your counterpart as well as your resident under you, the person you're precepting per se. Mm-hmm. Being a leadership above you, how do you do that? So the way to help your leader progress, right? So Jimmy, you want three more pharmacists in your ED, right? Absolutely. Your clinical manager can't work on that proposal because they're working on these three or two, these two or three MUEs. If you can manage up and take some stuff off of their plate, they will then have more time to work on that proposal. So you can have more pharmacists in the ED. Absolutely. You picking up what I'm putting down? Yep. So that so it's basically um managing up. So those are the different ways. And essentially what 360 degree leadership really means, in my opinion, is being a leader without a title. Mm. You don't need to be a manager to be a leader. That's the beautiful thing about it. So, uh, so what I'm trying to loop in here is that by taking the schedule, you're actually freeing up your manager so you can actually focus on more important or higher risk task while you're taking something that's more busy work from them. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So for example, because I was able to get off the schedule, I actually was able to do some digging and I found a huge financial price profile, things built wrong in my EHR kind of thing that's going to save the hospital some money. I would not have ever found that if I had the time to do it. So therefore, like doing little, the smallest things you could think of to kind of help take things off your manager's plate. Um, some of the other things you can do, um, the transition is creating service lines and programs. Expand ED services. Uh, the biggest one is a med rec program. But that's, that's something very easy you can do. Like, hey, can I oversee the med history technicians? How can I help advance that program? Can I help you go audit those technicians? Because now that med, something as simple as med histories, as an example, like leapfrog looks into that right and those are like your safety grades for your hospital hospital execs and your quality people look at that so that's just like one example advancing your service lines transition to care and care and those are little things where you may not be added to fte but for you participating or initiating those kind of programs to kind of help your leader out or to help pilot those things it may be more time on your hands but if you could build that service line successfully that's right there a great notch on your CV, like how you yeah. can separate yourself from everyone else. Um, any thoughts about cr- any other service lines you could think of, Jimmy? I think about just doing different things that come up, particularly for my, my ER people, uh, antimicrobial like, uh, culture callbacks, like that program where That's a it, it may not be a pharmacy driven thing at that time, but it may be a physician or a nursing task that you're offloading and giving it to you. And there's some data going back and forth, whether, you know, when it comes to reading the culture, um, identifying the correct antibiotic, we may be best served for that. We can save the hospital time, money, and adverse effects, because if everyone goes home in Cipro and Bactrim, you know, I, I don't know if that's a, <laughs> the best thing for our group, but if we can save money by preventing readmissions, if we can save the hospital money by making sure we have adequate, um, agents being used as efficacious and preventing adverse effects. Those are little programs where I, I, I personally see what going well for 
the administration above me and for my patients as well. Um, I've managed at my previous shop five medication history technicians and seeing how that works out. So I believe all these programs and all these different service lines help out tremendously. For me, I'm really huge on education. So if I'm able to provide these things for the hospital and there's some soft and hard dollars things, maybe I can expand my my practice and the things I want to do in other areas and get some uh, multidisciplinary buy-in for larger programs. And in my opinion, I think um, student programs are the easiest thing. Um, like for instance, I had to spend half a day just orienting IPI and IPI students, you know, so that's one of the easiest things, especially IPIs, you know, it's very introductory and you can li- practice leading topic discussions with them. So it's like, I think that's one of the easiest slam dunks. If your program, if your hospital doesn't take students regularly or doesn't take that many students, um, remember like our, a lot, a lot of models rely on those pharmacy extenders. Yep. Like it made a huge difference in my operations and to where the students are learning and they're actually enjoying themselves on rotations because you're actually doing value added task versus busy work. So mm-hmm. I would say like stuff like med, like low hanging fruit, you don't have to like try to save a million dollars here. Just any like things that you think require a lot of tasks, the education for sure, uh, med histories, other little things like that. Yeah. Um, something that Jimmy touched on is involvement in committees. Oh, yeah. If my, so that's pretty I, I was, big. Yeah, that's a big thing that I think that a lot of specialists, if you're not involved in committees now, I think that's interesting. And I, this may be the first step to leadership for most of us. And this is where I feel that my admin trained colleagues are so much better than me when we go to those meetings. And it I'm takes like, practice. Yeah. It takes practice. And, and this is coming from a, an admin resident. It takes practice because you're like, what do I do with my hands? Do I talk? Am I allowed to talk? Like, ooh, that's like the CEO. Like, can mm-hmm. I like say hi? And give him a fist bump? Yeah. I don't know. So it's like super awkward sometimes. Um, this is why it's important, I think, in my opinion, for clinical specialists to be involved in committees. Real simple. You're a clinical manager or coordinator. They're involved in a lot. And it's it, sure they could have an education person or a clinical coordinator in them. They're involved in a lot. PNT is not what it used to be. It's not as simple. Yeah. It's not as black and white. A lot of their time is spent in PNT. And you can go back and listen to that formula management episode that we had. Like the pre, the PNT, and the post, that's all your clinical manager. And you can even have an aside person for PNT. But remember, as you guys know, as preceptors, just because you're the stakeholder project and it's a resident project, it still requires oversight. You got to mm-hmm. make sure it's all done correctly, right? Because if yeah. it fails, guess what? It's kind of on you a little bit, right? Yeah. So any involvement, like my pharmacist, like, oh, you want to be part of curricular committee? Sweet. Here are the days. I'll make sure a project day on this day. Real simple things that can help. And it doesn't necessarily have to be clinical. It could be your controlled substances or your diversion prevention program. It could be operational. And I think that's the concerning thing is like you get these staff operational pharmacists and they think that in terms of leadership that they have to go the clinical route. You could just go through the ops route. You just got to really understand your operation. And the only way you learn how to do those is just by constant troubleshooting to be in that pharmacist in charge, constant troubleshooting. That's how you learn those things. Uh, medication safety is very good. And as well as any other specialty committee. And the reason why I think it's important for frontline staff to be there because y'all the ones that are in the fight every day. Yeah. So what happens a lot of times that's a bad game of telephone because you have executives on these committees. And then when you start off with the frontline staff trying to communicate what's going on on a certain event or error or process improvement 
terrible game of telephone. So the executive where he's getting this information wrong may not be 100% accurate. And it's no fault of the executive. That may even be the fault of the person feeding that information. It's a bad game of telephone. One mm-hmm. person can only read so many emails. So mm-hmm. I think by having frontline staff present, they can readily and quickly identify what the problem is or even recommend um, how to fix it, maybe in real time. Because how many times has a committee made a recommendation to implement something that is 100% not realistic? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's why it's important to have a frontline staff there. And that's where a lot of times, like on this Divergent Prevention Committee, they want all these extra co-signatures and they want to lock up um, a drug that's not controlled. And I'm like, guys, it's not realistic. It's not part of the operation. Our wholesalers are treated as a control. My tech's not going to do with, like my technicians, the only reason why they know things are controls is yes, there's a formula listing, but there's got to be a C on it, right? So these drugs don't have a C. So therefore, yeah. you, you already have a kind of mistake there. So that's why I think having frontline staff is very important. Um, leading in is implementing projects. So I know yeah. we touched on a little bit, a little bit earlier service lines and programs, but listen, there's a lot of MUEs out there to be had. Um, there's a lot of process improvements to be had, something with labeling. So if you think of things that like for me, like a portion of my projects are finance, right? A good portion of my projects, like the better app are just employee engagement, to be honest with you. What can I do to make it easier for my staff? What can I do to make it happy? Half of that is based off of feedback I get from them. But you know what? If they could take some of that off that plate, they could boost it on their CV and I can coach them through the entire thing. Okay. And that makes my life a lot easier. It makes me look good, right? As a leader. So for a leader would 100%. Um, I made this recommendation to one of my pharmacist buddies who didn't do a residency. And she just did a quick, simple PIXIS optimization project. And now that's the standard. She put it on her CV, supply chain, boom, knocked out of the park. And now she's kind of turning her way to possibly an ops coordinator. Okay. So little things like that. And then lastly is networking. Pharmacy is a small world going to conferences, being involved, meeting you and different people. I think the biggest thing is, is just like making sure like you're getting your name out there. You're being active. You're liking things on LinkedIn. Excuse me. Do you even have a LinkedIn? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I know Twitter's huge. I'm loving Twitter. So I yeah. appreciate all the love we get from Twitter. <laughs> I brag about to my, like I prefer Twitter over LinkedIn personally. Like it's great. Really loving it. Um, but just keep being involved. And also of course, watching what you're posting. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I know me and Jimmy have been working on like a networking podcast and stuff, but we're going to wait till a little closer to mid year. Cause I think y'all are yeah. most likely to try to listen around that time. Absolutely. So, um, let's bring this all, all in Jimmy. I yeah, think yeah, I've been rambling the whole time. Yeah. It's Oof. like, it's, it's a ton of, 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 of pearls here to look at. And I, I think, especially when you talk about implementing projects and networking, that's stuff that we are, a lot of specialists are doing to a certain degree. But I think that by shadowing, by maybe getting involved in these master's programs, getting involved in some lean thinking and leadership certificates, and just listening to podcasts like this will help us be better in those positions, help us better, you know, follow through with these projects that we like to start, you know, and just follow with our through, men- please yeah. follow through. And don't yeah. just follow through, like monitor it, see if it works. Doesn't need yeah. to be tweaking. Systems. Um, yeah. Put in place some systems in place. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in summary of everything, everyone's path is different. That's a beautiful thing about pharmacy. And not every hospital can hire an admin resident or a PGY2 trained in a certain specialty. 
So what I will say is that keep seeking opportunities. If you really are interested in admin, and I, and I know we say that we're admin, it's leadership, believe it or not. You know, just making sure that you're communicating with your goals and aspirations are, and you kind of work and build towards your, those goals. Because not everyone can hire admin resident. There's not so many of us. If you go on indeed.com, there's a ton of coordinator and manager jobs, of course, if you're willing to move. And then the other caveat is to make sure you keep seeking opportunities in people management, yeah. leadership training, and project management. Um, I think those are the most common questions you will get in an interview. Like, tell me a time you had to supervise people. Tell me at a time you had a problem employee or a technician. How'd you manage or triage that? What kind of leadership training have you had? Um, and project management, in my opinion, is the biggest thing because I think that's the hardest part going from clinical specialist to administrator because your day is totally different. You're going from being into a queue, a console queue, rounding off patients to just meetings and projects. So if you're like booked from nine to five with meetings, when you have time to work on these projects, do you multitask and work on projects while you're in the meeting? Are you really engaged, right? Especially since you're the only one representing pharmacy. So there's a lot of things to consider um, when you're doing those kind of things. But again, in terms of succession planning, like I may not, like my replacement is not going to be an admin resident. I don't have a residency program. I'm in the middle of Florida. It's likely going to be someone internally. So I'm already grooming people to just kind of just, if I move up or if I leave, Someone's going to be there to take the reins and to make sure my initiatives are still there after I leave. Absolutely, man. Yeah. So I think for me, it's like looking at the, the end of the, the tunnel. So to say, when you're a specialist, you know, there are some people that have practiced in a unit for 30 years and they do those things. But what I see traditionally is that you go from being a specialist for a few years to some type of some type of administration role. And then you go from there to some type of consultant role. And that's, that's how the career goes. So I think that if we're being smart about this and gaining these experiences and, and training early to get administrative like tasks added to our workload, it'll help us be the best manager when we become that, if we do, and it'll help us be able to better manage our units or, you know, desired areas when we're still practicing as a specialist. So I think this is a, a super Super interesting episode, man, because I think that we should all look at this in a way that, you know, we're all going to end up in a, a role with a title or not. So I think this is very, very special. Yep. So level up. You guys can do it. All right. So, guys, so make sure you go check out the show notes. We'll put most of this on the, the website at farmsohard.com. Please follow us on Twitter at farmso underscore hard. Uh, and the lifeline of our, of our podcast is going to be your subscriptions, your comments, all of your posts, uh, sharing it with your with your teammates and your in the people who, in your hospital or the retail pharmacy. Just make sure you do that for us. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, which is a new area for subscribe to all of them. So everyone stop what you're doing right now and go subscribe to those channels. And as you know, I, I like to close out my ends of things. You know, you don't have to be a pharmacist. You don't have to. You don't have to work in administration. You don't have to work in an ED. But everything you do, make sure you farm so hard. Keep farming hard, y'all. Peace. Okay.